Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's sermon podcast at Yarmouth Wesleyan. We hope that you are encouraged by the message that you're about to hear. Uh, And we would really appreciate uh, if you would subscribe on Apple Music or follow us on Spotify. That really helps us continue uh, to do the work that we are doing. So thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the message. Cross my heart and hope to die. (laughs) Stick a needle in my eye. It sounds a little gruesome now, but back when we were kids, that is the weird thing we said when we were telling someone that we mean it, that we're going to keep our word, that I promise. And, and even as children, we're like, I don't know if you do actually mean it. And we would be like, no, cross my heart, hope to die. It's a little dark for kids when you stop and think about it now. Uh, I think cross my heart was drastically improved by the pinky promise. Uh, because then it turned into, like, do you mean it? Well, absolutely, I mean it. Pinky promise? Oh, I pinky promise. And then you would link those pinkies together as if to say, I'm a person who keeps my word. What we understood, even as children, is that we often don't keep our word, that we'll often go back on what we say, that we'll drop the ball. Um, We just know that people are liable to do that. But what about when God makes you a promise? What about when God gives you his word and he says, here's what I'm going to do for you. Here's where I'm calling you to go. And and here's what I'm believing for your life. And, And it sounds good and it sounds nice. We read about it in scripture. There's all kinds of promises in his word. But I just don't know if I believe him. I just don't know if he's going to pull through on this one because maybe it seems a little too wild, a little too out there, or or maybe it seems like I've had my hopes up before only to be disappointed time and time again. Um, I I just don't know, God. Do you pinky? Pinky promise? Uh, But God does not need to do pinky promise. We have questions when God gives us his word. We have some questions when God makes a promise, namely, can I believe that this is actually going to happen? Can I have a timeline for when this is going to happen? Can you let me know what the cost of this is going to be and if I'm interested in paying that price? Is there anything I can do to mess this promise up, to somehow undo it because of my own uh, ridiculous behavior? We've got questions for God when he speaks truth to us, when he gives us his word because our humanity is prone to get in the way because we know what it means to, to go back on a word or to have been disappointed before by someone else. And whether we care to admit it or not, that suspicion tends to leak into our relationship with God. And we get uncertain about whether God will actually fulfill his word, whether God actually will show up and do the thing that he said he is going to do. This is where God's people, the Israelites, find themselves in the story that we are going to look at today in the book of Joshua. It all begins with the promise from God that he gives them when they are still slaves in Egypt. And he says, I am going to give you a land and it is going to be your own land. It is a good land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be great. They call it the promised land because God says, I promise, I give you my word. This is what I'm going to do. It says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I am giving them. 
And I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all of the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses, and I will not fail or abandon you. That's God's promise. He said, I promise you the same thing I promised Moses, that I will give you my word and I will see this thing through. And there's a couple of things I want to notice right off the bat. One is that God uses two different tenses to talk about the same thing. In verse 2, he says, in the land I am giving them. And in the very next verse, he says, in the land I have given you. And so you start to wonder, like, is it land you're giving them or is it land you've already given them? And God's like, yes, yes, it is. Because when it comes to a promise of God, what you can know is that even if it hasn't happened yet, you can bank on it happening to such a degree that it's a done deal. With God, his promise is a done deal before it's ever a done deal. It's not going to not happen. If he spoke it, then you can bank on it. And so God says, this is the land that I have given you. Yeah, there's still some details to work out. So I'm in the process of giving it to you, but I've already given it to you. You can consider it done. That is incredible confidence. God speaks about future events in the present tense. A promise from God is a future event that he speaks about in the present tense. I don't think we ever do that in any scenario as humans, at least that we couldn't with a straight face, walk into your boss's office and, and talk like, hey, when you give me that promotion, you're, you're out on a date with someone, first or second date, listen, when we get married, or, or maybe watching hockey and you're like, when the Leafs win the cop. <laughs> mm. All right, we, we talk about presumptuous. We would never do that. We're not supposed to do that because we don't know what the future holds, but God knows. And he says, I have given you this land, even though you're not in it yet, even though there's things to be done, you might as well consider it your land because I have spoken that over you. A promise from God is a future event declared in the present tense. And so God's people are fired up. They're like, yeah, this is our land. This is going to be great. God gave it to us. And you almost get the indication that they thought, like, we're going to open the front door to the promised land and go in and have a ribbon-cutting ceremony, comically oversized scissors. It's going to be great. Uh, the issue with the promised land is that it wasn't just this empty patch of land with nobody in it, just waiting for them to arrive. It was filled with their enemies. It was filled with people who had already lived there. They had already been established. Israelites' least favorite people on the planet happened to live in the land that God was giving them. And so this land flowing with milk and honey, all of a sudden that's just code for a land full of cow poop and bumblebees, which means that land might stink and it might hurt. God's promises are not without its challenges. God's promises are not without some difficulties along the way. And so we pick the story up in chapter 6, verse 2. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king and all its strong warriors. So there's that present tense again. He has not done that yet. They have not entered into Jericho yet. But he says, I have given you Jericho. And, and then he says in verse 3, 
but you and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. I have given it to you, but you've got some work to do. I have given it to you, but you still need to go get it. You, you can almost hear God's people start to complain, like, I thought you were just giving us this land. And he's like, I am, but you still have a role to play, right? There's often an action that we need to play when it comes to God's promises that, that we have to take. He says, I'll do the hard part. I'll do the heavy lifting, but I still need you to show up and do the thing that I am asking of you to do. I need to see that you're willing to play a part. I need to see that you trust me enough to step out in obedience. And so this shouldn't be a surprise to God's people because in their short history, this is often how God has worked with them. Hey, Noah, I'm going to save you and your family, uh, but I need you to build a gigantic boat in the middle of a neighborhood where there's never been rain. Uh, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Now, I just need you to go kill your only child. Uh, Moses, I'm going to free your people out of slavery. And he's like, oh, great. Uh, but I need you to go and confront Pharaoh and turn the Nile to blood. Just minor details along the way. God is wondering and waiting to see if we will step up and do the part that he is asking us to play when it comes to these promises. God's promises are partnerships. He says, I'll do my part, but are you willing to do yours? Are you willing to take a step of faith? Are you willing to show me that you trust me? There's a lot of people who say they have faith, but we don't really know we have it until we put some action behind it, until we're actually willing to step out and put it into practice. Our faith is evidenced by obedience. Our faith is evidenced by our willingness to do what God asks us to do. And these extraordinary acts of God are almost always preceded by very ordinary acts of obedience when God invites us along to participate in his promise. It's like hearing God say, all right, Yarmouth Wesleyan, you guys are going to have a campus in the South End. We're going to change the world. We're going to reach people. It's going to be awesome. And we're like, yeah, God, go do it. And he's like, yeah, church, go do it. You, you, you need to do some planning and you need to do a lot of praying and you need to recruit some volunteers and you need to raise some money and you need to go find a location and you need to do some promotion and then you need to keep praying. And, and it's like, I will do the supernatural stuff that you guys can't do, but I need you to step up and say, I'm willing to partner with God in this promise. I'm willing to take uh, action and do this because I believe what God has spoken to us. And so God is looking for the Israelites to step up and say, okay, we will go get this land. The problem is that Jericho is the first place that they have to invade, and it is the worst place. Uh, I can picture that conversation. Like God's like, all right, I'm going to give you this land. First stop, Jericho. And the Israelites would have been like, oh, oh no, not, not Jericho. Jericho is famous for being impenetrable. It was built up on a hill, and it had this famous wall built all around it, this stone wall. And, and you've got to remember that war in 1500 BC looked very different than it does today. There are no, you know, rockets being fired. There's no drone that you can fly over to get a strategic viewpoint. They had pointy sticks, so that, they had that going for them. But if you walk up to a large stone wall with a pointy stick, uh, they didn't really have much going in their favor. And then you think about where they've lived. They have been a tent community 
wandering all around the desert for years. They're not a training facility for the army. They don't have a barrack set up for the military. They don't have this stockpile of weapons that they're, they have been living out of suitcases on the road. And God's like, yeah, let's go get Jericho. It'd be like growing up in the prairies your whole life, go, growing up in corner gas. And then God's like, I'm going to lead you to the foot of New York City. And then you're going to go get it. Okay, God, that, that sounds reasonable. He starts with Jericho. He starts with Jericho. But isn't that the way with God and his promises sometimes? That, that, that the very first step always seems to be the most difficult, the most challenging. It's often the hardest part, which is true of a lot of things in life, that that, that first step is often the most difficult part. I, I think of, uh, you know, my wedding day. Had a little bit of stress, sure, but I wasn't feeling too much stress. I woke up, put a suit on, drove to a church, standing up on a stage, like, yeah, this is great. My first date or two was stressful because I did not know how those were going to go, right? It, it, it's risky. It is uncertain. I need to be on my best behavior. By the time I get to the wedding, I'm on the stage thinking, she wants this. It's too far gone now. She can't do anything about that. Like, this is happening. First date, there's not that guarantee. And, and usually that's how it goes. Those first endeavors, those first few steps are the riskiest, the hardest. They have the most challenge. And so if you ever feel like God is asking you to go somewhere, to do something, to take this next step, man, those first moments are going to be your hardest. And we just have to be willing to take those first steps because the first step is one that says, all right, God, I trust you. All right, God, I'm putting my faith into action. All right, God, I'm stepping out in risk, but I believe that you're going to see me through. They had a lot of walking to do, but it starts with the first step. And so God gives them this promise, shows them this city, and says, we're going to go take this. And this is where the plan gets weird. Verse 3, he says, You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day, for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn, and on the seventh day you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horn. Imagine the army's response. Imagine <clears throat> Joshua gathers the troops, gathers everyone together. He's like, all right, here's God's big plan. We're going to take our best fighting men, and they're like, yes, here we go. Best fighting men, suit up, let's go do this. And then and then we're going to go for a walk. You're like, oh, like we're going to walk strategically around the building to get in. No, we're actually just going to go for a walk and come back home. Oh, but there's got to be more to it than that. It's a crazy plan. Oh, yeah, right. Don't worry. We're, we're going to bring some pastors with us. Some very decidedly not your fighting men theologians. Very bookish guys. Don't worry. They're going to come too. Why, why are we bringing them? Oh, they're going to have a whole woodwind section with them. It's going to be wild. This is the worst military strategy I have ever heard in my life. I can't imagine how shocking and disheartening it would have been for that army to hear that news that day. But again, doesn't that seem to be how God operates? That, that when he gives you this plan, when he calls you to this thing, that it often defies what we think is logical that often goes against what we think is reasonable, that it doesn't make any human sense at all. But we're reminded in Scripture, this is Proverbs 3, 5, 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And God, historically, again, had always called his people to do these crazy things because when they actually happen, people know, oh, God was in that. The only way that pulled off, that, the only way that actually happened is that God had to have been in that. That's the only explanation. See, one of the most frequent mistakes we make with God is thinking that we can figure him out. It is thinking that the way he does things has to make sense to me. The only way that this is going to work is if it's logical, if it's affordable, if it's practical, if it goes according to what I think the standards are, then we'll move ahead with that. God rarely works that way. Don't lean on your own understanding. But we trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We don't trust our own intellect. We don't trust our own ability. We step out in faith to the thing that God has called us to do. So be reminded today that God's divinely orchestrated plans for your life rarely need your improvements. You do not need to edit it. You don't need to tweak it. We're always tempted to sit down and think, all right, God, I see what you're asking me to do. But if we could just also uh, do it according to this timeline and according to these things that I've got set up, that would be super. That's not how he works. Jericho's military strategy was probably not what any human would have come up with there. But this is what God calls them to do. God's wisdom often seems like foolishness to man. But he calls them to do this. He says, I have given you this land. It's already yours. But I need you to go have a walk. And so, some of you might be wrestling with a promise from God today. And what is holding you back from stepping out in obedience is that it sounds insane. Is that it does not sound logical to you. And some of us get so stuck in logic that we actually can't move in the Spirit. We, we get so stuck in our own pragmatism and practicality that we actually lose out on, on the supernatural power of God moving in our life and, and what it means to walk in the Spirit. You can't experience the supernatural power of God if you are not also willing to risk your own intellect, your own logic, your own plans, your own ideas. Are you willing to look foolish for your faith? That's where a lot of us stop when God says, I'm calling you to go do this thing. And we're like, I don't know what people are going to think about that. What we should be saying is, I should be more worried about what God's going to think if I don't do this. I need to be more concerned about what it means to follow him in his promises than what other people might say about what I am doing. Lean not on your own understanding. But Mark, I don't, uh, how do I know that this is actually from God? I, I don't know. But Mark, how can I know that he's actually going to follow through? I, I don't know. Mark, how could he let these things happen to me? I don't know. Uh, there are many days when I'm grateful I don't have to lean on my own understanding because I have very little understanding. But we can have a lot of faith and believe that God will see his promises through. And this is what happens. Verse 14, on the second day, they march around the town once and return to camp. And then they follow this pattern for six days. Think about how hard that would be to do after just a single day. You go, you take your walk, and you come home. And nothing happens, nothing changes. And then you wake up on day two, and you're like, okay, we got to do this again. And you know by now the people of Jericho are making fun of them. You know they're hearing taunts. You know kids are climbing up on that wall and throwing rocks at them. You know that it has got to be wildly frustrating. And they wake up. And they do it again, and nothing happens. And then they wake up, and they do it again, and nothing happens. You're going to start to doubt eventually. You're going to start to wonder, is this working 
did I actually hear God right? Is he actually going to follow through? Is this going to happen like he said? Could we give God a call and just double check that he's still in on this plan? After a while, we all start to doubt the promises of God because they're not happening as quickly as we think they should. They're not happening according to the way that we're hoping that they will. How does it feel to march around the wall when nothing happens? We know because you've been there. You have prayed for healing for this thing that has not been healed yet. You you have prayed for a child to come to know the Lord that has not made that decision yet. You have prayed for provision, and it still seems like you're lacking. God has called you to do these things, and you have prayed about these things, but it definitely feels like day four, walking around Jericho, nothing going on. Not a rock falling off of that wall. It is frustrating and discouraging and perhaps gets harder every day that it seems like nothing is happening. But be encouraged if that is you today because perseverance is very often part of the promise. There, there is this element of sticking with it, of not turning our back, of not giving up hope, of not walking away. Uh, Romans 15.4 says, Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope through endurance and the encouragement of scriptures, that we would have hope. See, the story for today is for someone to know that you need to stick with it, that that there is hope if you endure. Don't stop now, don't turn back, don't cease praying, don't get bitter, don't throw your hands up in frustration. God's promise for your life is so certain he speaks about it in the present tense, even if it hasn't come into fruition yet. He says, I have given you this land. I have given you Jericho. I just need you to take another walk today. I just need you to take another walk tomorrow. I promise that the time is coming. And what's happening in this process is that it's building our faith, is that it's building our trust, is that it's it's building uh, the strength that we have in God. And, And sometimes we forget that when it comes to God's promises, the process actually was the point. And how many times have you been able to look back on your life at one of those seasons and thought, oh, I see what he was doing there. And without that process, without that timeline, without those gaps where I wondered where he was doing, none of this actually would have happened. And I'm better for it. And I see what God did. It's just hard to see in the moment. But if you give up walking on day five, then you forfeit the miracle. Then you miss out on God's promise. Uh, Verse 15. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. And the seventh time around, the priests sounded their long blast on their horns. And Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. And suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed. And Israel charged straight into the town and captured it. I love how the Bible just so matter-of-factly shares ridiculous information. They, they shout and blow the brass section or whatever the wood, I don't know what a ram's horn in. Is it a brass section or woodwind? I don't know. Whatever the case, the priests start blowing their horns and the, it says the walls of Jericho collapsed and they just go in and take the town. I want to see that like, can you give me some more detail? Because that sounds crazy. Can you imagine that moment where you are screaming and the horns are blowing And you have been walking around this town for a week. And all of a sudden, you start to feel the ground move. 
you start to see some rock start to come down over those walls and thousands of tons of rock just starts collapsing and, and people in Jericho are screaming and wondering what has happened, what is going on. The people who were mocking you yesterday are now r- running away for their lives, wondering what in the world is about to just happen. And they're, thi- they're, they're sitting there. They've got to be thinking, oh, it actually happened. God just did it. He actually did what he said he was going to do. Um, Jericho wasn't ready for that. Jericho was not ready for them to actually do more than take a walk around the town. And so this, this what seemed like a week wasted of walking but was actually working in their favor. Because every day that went by, the people of Jericho probably care less and less. They're probably less concerned. They don't have an army ready. They're not ready to fight back. They're not ready for a wall to collapse because they just think these maniacs have been taking a walk every day for a week. So six days of nothing that the Israelites perhaps were frustrated by actually turns into six days of preparation that perhaps was designed to lead them to victory. And how many times have we been convinced that things in our lives that seemed like barriers, interruptions, and obstacles were actually the things that led us to where God wanted us to be? Imagine what that day did for the Israelites' faith. Imagine how much their faith grew that day when they saw that God pulled through. What's interesting is that they actually don't get that day without their faith, that their faith actually came before the wall fell. Hebrews 11 verse 30 says, it was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith that the walls fell. It wasn't the walls falling that gave them faith, which is what we're prone to think. See, what we're prone to think is that, God, if I see you do something miraculous, then I'll have the faith to follow you. If I would just see you do something like you say you're going to do, then I will step out in trust and obedience because I've seen you do it. But what God is asking us is, do you have faith in me before you see the wall fall? I want to see faith that you'll step out in obedience and trust me before you ever see the miracle. It was their faith that helped them see the walls fall. And maybe that's what God is looking for in your own life. You have been waiting for God to show up and do his part, but he is waiting for you to step out in faith and do yours. It's the faith that came before that led to their miracle, their willingness to play their part, even though they knew God is the one who was going to do the heavy lifting. And and maybe that's the bottom line for us today, is that if you want to walk with God, you want to see him move, you want to see these promises fulfilled in your own life, it is going to require faith on your part in a faith that's evidenced by obedience, a faith that's evidenced by stepping out and trusting him and and taking those first steps. It's a faith that says, I will remain faithful, that I will continue to pray, that I will continue to walk, that I will continue to trust, that I will continue to believe, even when it feels like, I don't know where God is right now, and I don't know when he's going to show up, but I'm going to keep on walking. And so where do you need to have faith today? What is it that that Jesus has been asking you to do? Perhaps it's a place that he's asking you to go. Perhaps it's a transition in your life or in your job. Maybe it's a conversation with someone that you need to have. Maybe it's to keep on praying for that thing that you gave up praying for because you weren't seeing anything happen because of it. What promises of God seem unrealistic in your life today? And I would encourage you today just to keep on walking. 
just to keep on praying. Pray for someone's wall to fall. Pray for someone's deliverance. Keep, keep praying for someone's healing. Keep praying for that reconciliation. Keep praying for justice to happen in that circumstance. Keep praying for someone's salvation. Keep praying for the provision that you haven't seen yet. Because even in the process, God is building you and strengthening you and giving you endurance and, and, and giving you new faith and fresh faith. And God has never, not once, gone back on his word. Every one of his promises he has fulfilled, and every one of his promises he will fulfill. He is a God of his word. He, we don't have to pinky promise. If God said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, then you can bank on it. And so be encouraged in your life today to keep on walking, even if it feels like he's not with you. He is a God of his word, and he will see us through.